We are uh, here in our second week on this uh, sermon series of Consecrate, and we're getting ready to enter into this season of prayer and fasting, as they just said in the announcements, and I know everybody's excited about that. I want to this morning sort of make it attainable for you. I know that sometimes, uh, maybe you think this, maybe you don't, but sometimes I can get a little overzealous, but I want to make this like attainable for everyone as we enter into it. Uh, before we get started, though, you know, we've had, uh, we're growing the church, as I always say, the old-fashioned way. Uh, Brian and Emily Napier, they had a baby this past week, and amen, yeah, golf clap. And, uh, and then we got like, I, I don't even know, we got more pr people pregnant than you. It's all the time we got like five baking one in the oven, all the time. Like Kaylee's pregnant, uh, Talora's pregnant. I can't even, Megan's about to have one, like she, she's almost fully cooked, and, uh, and uh, Bridget's pregnant, uh, I think, I, sometimes I tell people we're pregnant whenever they don't want me to tell it, so I may, I probably better back off, but I know there's more of you out there that are pregnant, and of course, of course, y'all ain't gonna believe this, Shauna's pregnant. <laughs> she ain't, for those of you who don't know the inside joke, she's not, she's not pregnant, but I wish she was. Oh, praise God. So listen, we're entering into three weeks of prayer and fasting, and I think I need to do this. I've never really done this before, but I, the more and more I uh, get challenged by things and people and comments and stuff, I, I recognize that every now and then I need to give a disclaimer. Um, so let me say this about prayer and fasting as before I get into my message. Let me give a disclaimer as we enter into 21 days. I'm going to say this, and you know, you can always be prayerful in whatever the Lord tells you you go with, but let me say this uh, based on how many women we got pregnant and nursing. If you are a woman who is pregnant or nursing, you should not fast from food. I don't know if you realize that or not. Uh, someone who has had an eating disorder probably should not fast from food. Children under 12 shouldn't fast. And teens should be supervised if they are fasting from food. Diabetics and people with kidney disease shouldn't fast. The frail and elderly shouldn't fast. And those who must take medication with food probably shouldn't fast food. If you have the flu or a severe cold, probably best for you to eat that day. Amen. Uh, people with a medical condition should check with their doctor before they fast. Otherwise, I mean, unless you just hear a voice from God to press through and persevere, you know, uh, then, then that would just be my advice. Does that sound good? I feel like I just did one of those commercials right then, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> this could cause death. No. <laughs> Believe it or not, people can physically go 40 days without food. Uh, it, it, many people have done it. It is quite possible, and, and it will not kill you. Uh, matter of fact, there's been many studies that will say that uh, fasting is, is beneficial for your health, but I want to get into a biblical uh, type of fasting and what, it, what Scripture teaches about it. But to begin, I want to start in the book of Joel, chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, and I want to talk to you this, this morning about consecrating a fast. We talked about consecrate right last week we talked about the secret place and to consecrate basically means it's throughout scripture and it is a principle that means that I'm going to set this apart to the Lord I'm going to set myself apart to the Lord in the book of Joshua he says you're about to go into the promised land he said consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you there is a 
theme throughout Scripture when a man or a group of people or a woman or anybody says, you know what, I'm going to set some time aside to the Lord to seek the Lord and I'm going to give my life for His purposes and I'm going to say no to this and yes to God, then all of a sudden they consecrate themselves and they set themselves apart for, to God for a season and He's able to break through in power to use them for something miraculous and glorious. And so when we say we're going to consecrate ourselves, we're moving into a time where we're pushing something away in order to draw nearer to the Lord because we want to see God move in our midst and we want to see God change our lives. Now here's what it says in Joel chapter 1 verse 1 through 4. It says, Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Now, you may or may not know what in the world he's talking about, but in the book of Joel, what has happened is God has brought judgment against them for turning against him. And he says, this is what's happening in your land because you have turned from me. And literally there was an outbreak of locusts that infested their lands and destroyed all their crops, ate everything they had. They had no wine, they had no oil, they had no grain. And not only that, but there was an invading army that was beginning to invade Israel while they were at their lowest point. And so God is telling them, here's what's going on. He even he says there's a drought, there's no crop crops, everything is failing, and he even starts to cry out, Joel does, he tells the drunks, he said, hey, drunks, wake up, you about to ain't going to have nothing to drink, even you all, you need to pay attention. If I can't get you to seek me, at least think about the fact that you ain't going to have nothing to drink here in a minute, I'm taking everything from you. He tells them to lament, because there's not going to be any more offerings that they can bring to the house of God. He says there's going to be no food, no oil, and the economy is going to be destroyed. And he tells all the ministers to get together and to begin to wail and weep at the altar for the things that are taking place in the land. And here's what he says in verse 14. Here's the answer to the situation in their nation. He says this, consecrate a fast. What he's saying is set aside this thing. Let the Lord know that you mean business, that you're turning back to Him and set apart a fast to seek the Lord and call a sacred assembly and gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. He tells them to turn to the Lord with all of their heart. He says, rend your heart and not your garments. What he's saying is, is, I don't just want your religious ritual. I don't want you just coming to church for church's sake. He says, I want to get down to the heart of the matter. I want to get down into the issues of our hearts as to why the world is in the condition that it's in. I don't want religious ritual or service. I want you to come to me and I want you to gather the people. I want you to come into the house of God and I want you to cry out to me for what is taking place around you. And here's what's so beautiful is that throughout scripture God promises them restoration. He says when you call upon me and you consecrate a fast, he says I will restore the grain, I will restore the wine, I will restore the oil and I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. And for many of you, I'm going to tell you something. It seems like things have been taken from you. The enemy has stolen something from you. Maybe you've lost something. And God says, if you will come and you will seek me, I will bring a restoration to the years that were stolen from you. And by the time I'm reading this, if I'm in their shoes, I'm thinking, you know what? This sounds pretty good. I would love to see restoration in my life. I would love to see these things gained back that I feel like I've lost. My relationship with God feels like it's going nowhere. Many of us, even today, if we were honest with ourselves, we would say, you know what? Spiritually, I feel stuck. 
I feel like my relationship with God is going nowhere. I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I'm sensing the Lord's presence anymore. I'm telling you, this message is for you. When somebody gets dry, when somebody gets cold, God starts to give a promise. And I love what he says in the book of Job because he says after this, he talks about prayer and fasting, them coming together in an assembly and crying out to the Lord. And he says, and after this, he says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And after that, he said, upon my, my servants and my handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy because if you read in scripture here's the beautiful thing about it God gives promises and nobody ever in the Bible says wow God gave a promise let's just sit back and take our ease he'll take care of it when people are given promises they set their face to seek God usually through prayer and fasting when God says, I want to do this in your life, I want to do this in your nation, I want to do this in your community, nowhere in the scripture do they say, oh, well, God promised it. Now we can sit back and eat and watch TV. No, every single one of them, they grab a hold of the promise by seeking God through prayer and fasting. And it's after they consecrate themselves to the Lord that the promise comes through and the Spirit is poured out. Now, does that excite you this morning? Some of you are like, oh, well, that sounds okay. That sounds interesting. Throughout scripture, if you read... Moses, Elijah, David, Nehemiah, Esther, Jonah, even the wicked Ninevites, Joel, Ezra, Daniel, Jesus and his disciples, and even Paul, they all fasted. They all lived this lifestyle where they sought God through prayer and fasting because there's promises in Scripture for your life of restoration, of healing, of, de of deliverance, of freedom, all of these things that God wants to do in your life, but there's a way that we access the promises of God. And he says one of the ways that we access that is through faith and through prayer and fasting and coming to Lord, the Lord and consecrating ourselves to God. And saying, God, we're putting our faith in your word. We trust in you to come through in that. Throughout scripture, it's God's blueprint where a person gets so filled with the promise of God that it moves them to start to live radically. See, I don't know if you've ever been in the shape that I've been in, but I remember being so bound by Satan and the enemy and addictions that I said, I cannot live this way anymore. And I was more hungry for God than I was for food. Amen. Anybody this morning? See, it's hard to get people amped for fasting. I don't know. I don't know what to do. It's like, man, I give them some killer promises, and everybody's like, oh. And, you know, we, we, we talked about this. We did a podcast about prayer and fasting recently, and one of the things that we said in it is everybody wants to be like Jesus, but almost nobody wants to do what Jesus had to do to be Jesus. We all want the promises of God. We just don't want to do what it takes to receive the promises of God. We all want to be great disciples of Jesus Christ. We just don't want the discipline that it takes because we have been transformed by comfort culture. What we want is ease and Netflix binges and all the food and all the snacks and everything we can get that will bring us the max amount of comfort and the least amount of distress. And what it's done is it's caused us to be numb to spiritual things. And so there's a time when God says, you are numb, you're too connected to the world, you got to draw away and be with me. And many of us find ourselves in these spiritual conditions. Many of us feel stuck and that's why we're entering into this time where we say we're going to consecrate something to the Lord. Now let me give you some practical tips to try to help you out but Matthew 6 we talked about last week the secret place Jesus said when you pray you need to go into the secret place and shut the door on everything else in your life and pray to your father who is in the secret place 
and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. But he also adds something else to it. He adds giving to it, but then he says this about fasting. He says, moreover, verse 16, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. In other words, in a very spiritual culture, when somebody's fasting, he said they would disfigure their faces, they'd put sackcloth and ashes on, and they'd walk around like this just to let everybody know, I'm fasting, I'm spiritual. Hallelujah. Bless you, brother. Look at me. Right? And he said, he said don't, don't do it like those. He said, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I remember the first time I entered into the discipline of fasting. I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I was addicted to pornography. I know y'all love hearing that stuff, but some of y'all are in the same shape that I was in. And I remember in December 25th of 2007, matter of fact, my family had took a trip to Disneyland, which I told you last week, it was not the most important place in the world. Amen. If you don't go, you'll probably be blessed. If you got plans to go, I'd cancel it, but that's just my pastoral advice. I mean, uh, no, I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing. But I was there, and you know what I did? We went to Disneyland that day on Christmas Day, and I fasted that day. I said, Lord, this is, you've got to get me out of what I'm in. I ain't eating nothing just to let you know I'm serious. And for me, nothing really happened that day except I got real bad hungry. I, there were no angels that showed up, no spotlights, nothing, nothing crazy happened. I didn't feel good. I had a headache and I was hungry and I was at Disneyland and didn't want to be there because it's packed. But at the end of it, something happened in my spirit, I have no doubt, because it began to launch me into a different lifestyle where God began to move me into seeking Him like I'd never sought Him before. And then I started to go on more fasts. One day fast, three day fast, seven day fast. And you know what it led me to? It led me into an encounter with the Holy Spirit where God broke into my life, transformed who I was, set me free from my addictions and filled me with a new spirit and gave me a new heart and a new mind. And because he drew me into that, and because he gave me those spiritual disciplines, that was what opened my heart to allow me to be transformed. I didn't grow up as a Christian person. I didn't grow up and say, you know what, I'd like to be a good person. I didn't grow up and say, you know what, I want to follow. I never did that. I had a hard time following Jesus, but God gave me spiritual disciplines so that I could die to myself and be born again by the Spirit and be empowered by the Spirit to live a life for him. So there's one thing to live like a nominal Christian life, but there's another thing when he says, I need to call you into something a little bit deeper here. Now let me tell you this, let me give you a little preface. Fasting is hard and I don't enjoy it. Amen. Somebody, like, because you need to know if you're going to do it. If you're, gonna, if you're going to enter this year into spiritual discipline, there's a reason it's called discipline. Fasting is not a spiritual gift. Nobody has a spiritual gift. Nobody really just says, you know what, I love to fast. And usually when I'm in on that third day of not eating, like it's just, it's, it's grand. <laughs> Nobody says that. I hate it. Matter of fact, when I start to think about January coming up about mid-December, if I think about it hard enough, I start to get a little bit depressed. <laughs> I'm serious. But I know that my flesh resists what the Spirit of God wants to do in my life now, this year, what he wants to do in this church. And I know that if I give over to the flesh, we will all go over to the flesh. 
And so even if it's not for anybody else, I have to check myself and consecrate myself afresh to come back into this place. I remember one time, see, I fasted a lot back in the day. Jeremy saw a picture of me back in the day, and I, he said, man, your arm wasn't nothing but sinew. You, know? you weigh about 112 pounds. And, uh, but I used to like to call some of my friends to fast. And I remember one January, you know, we were in, I was in my early 20s or something like that and I called a bunch of buddies to fast. I was like, man, we need to pray fast, seek the Lord this year, see what he's going to do. And me and Andre, it was like, it was like January 1st, you know, and we were, we were uh, driving somewhere and we just had started that fast and it was like noon or something and we were actually going through Richmond and, uh, and she said, Clay, I ain't going to be able to do this. I'm sick. I'm sick. Well, I'm like, it's noon. She said, no, you don't understand, I ain't going to be able to do this, I'm sick. And so I said, all right, fine, we'll go. And we, we, had, we pulled over and went into IHOP, you know what I'm talking about? We went into IHOP, and by the time she went in, something was happening with her. She went straight to the bathroom, projectile vomited from six hours of fasting. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. She, she, gonna keep, she ain't in here this morning, praise God. I've been really hard on her the last couple of weeks. One time we was on a fast, maybe, maybe a day or two in, and she got so hungry in the middle of the night, she woke up, and she kind of sleepwalks a little bit sometimes. She's going to be mad at me over that one too. And this night, because she was on fast, she got up, went straight to the kitchen, opened, opened the refrigerator, and got cold mashed potatoes and started spooning them in. I remember, now that I'm on a roll... I remember, uh, what, preach. <laughs> I remember, um, we called fast there one time. We was fasting there corporately, and I think it was, uh, I think Richard told me this. Uh, Jacqueline, I guess she had had enough of the fast. She was hungry. She was ready to eat, and Richard saw that she was buckling under the pressure, and he tried to stop her, and he knew he, knew he had to keep her from food at that point because he was trying to, you know, he was trying to really hold her accountable and keep her to the fast. So she jumps over a couch, <laughs> reaches into a thing of white chocolate Reese cups and starts shoveling them into her mouth. She's going, she was serious about breaking that fast. Where's she at? Is she in here this morning? I hope not. Anyway, my point being is fasting is hard. It's hard and it's not fun. And so when you go into it and you set some goals, don't expect that during it all of a sudden God's just going to manifest in his glorious form and you're going to see feathers and gold dust flying or something like that and it's just going to be great. It's going to hurt, it's going to be painful and your flesh is going to cry out. And you're going to find out your weaknesses in a fast. You're going to find out your weaknesses. But let me say this, Richard Foster, he's got a great book called The Celebration of Discipline. He says this about fasting. He says the practice of fasting is abstaining from food or something else for spiritual purposes. Now sometimes I get a little overzealous and I will argue to you that biblical fasting as far as I can tell is actually abstaining from food. Now, why I say that is this, is because most people will say, well, I'm going to fast video games. Well, praise God, you should probably quit video games for a while anyway. Amen. Good preaching this morning, Clay. Y'all just hit, I just hit some of y'all. You can't fast video games, but you can consecrate yourself to God and say, God, I'm putting video games to the side. Before this message, I'm going to act like you can fast those things, okay? Just to make things attainable. Is that all right? Because that's what he says. He says it's abstaining from food or something else. You can fast or consecrate something else for spiritual purposes. Now culturally, let me say this, even in our culture today, fasting has actually become very popular. Like you hear people talk about intermittent fasting. You ever heard people talk about that? Like, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to only eat between the hours of 12 and 5 or something like that. And it's, and it's 
culturally fashionable and maybe it's good for your health or health benefits and that'd be great for you. But here's what I want to say about cultural fasting. Cultural fasting is about you fitting into some skinny jeans. You know what I'm talking about? Biblical fasting is about you focusing on God. They're two very different things. So when you enter into a fast, we're not talking about your weight loss program. And we're not talking about your physical figure. We are talking about drawing closer to God. And so there's two very different things. Because it's very important to note that because you've got to ask yourself, why are you doing it? Are you doing it to shed a few pounds? Somebody said, you know what, I'm just, I'm just one good stomach or a virus away from my goal weight, somebody said the other day. All right. Zechariah 7, 5, it says, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seven months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me, God says. He says, when you fasted, did you really fast for me? So the question is, is when you enter into a time of prayer and fasting and consecration and you're saying, God, I realize that my life, I I got some issues and I I need some deeper sanctification and I need some healing and I need some transformation and I I need a a mental reset and I I need these things. He's going to draw you in and ask you, why are you doing it? Are you doing it for him or are you doing it for some other reason? And see, when Jesus speaks in Matthew 6, what he does is he first gets at our motivation. He says, when you fast. See, he's expecting that if you are a Christian, at some point you will fast. It will become, just like prayer, a normal routine in your life to some degree or another. A Christian's life should be a life of spiritual disciplines. When you look at a Christian's life, you should see prayer. You should see the reading of Scripture. You should see worship. You should see acts of mercy. You should see generosity and giving to the poor. And you should see, among all of those spiritual disciplines, somewhere weaved into it, you should see fasting. It is a spiritual discipline that's been given to us by God. So when we talk about the Christian life, I was reading a book the other day where a guy was talking about the early church and he said, you know, the reason that people were drawn to Christians was not because they had excellent church services. They did not. What what drew people to Christians was that they had a lifestyle of spiritual discipline that manifested the power and love of God. They they were amazed when they saw people that would get together and pray and fast together and the power of God would manifest and the love of God would manifest and they would encounter His presence and lives would be changed. They were not impressed because they had great church services that were very entertaining. And we've got to understand that, look, as good as an entertaining church service is, at the end of the day, it does you absolutely no spiritual good if it does not translate into you seeking God privately. And so he never gives a method about fasting, but he does give a word about our motivation. How many of us you just like, I understand liking to be seen. Do you understand that at all? Y'all feel that? Like if I'm washing the dishes at the house, I'm like, (coughs) (coughs) (laughs) you see this on? I'm washing the dishes. Like there's something about doing something and wanting to be seen and wanting to be known that you're doing it and it becomes this thing. And he says, you know what, if that's what you want, if your motivation is to be seen as spiritual or this or that, he says, you've received your reward. But he says, if you take this thing to God in the secret place and it's between you and God and all of a sudden that's where it's all at. He says, God who sees in secret will reward you openly. The word openly there is a very unique word in the Greek language. It's phanerosis. It means manifestation. And it's tied into, if you look throughout Scripture, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and God working in your life like that. 
And so he's saying he's going to reward you with a manifestation of himself. He's going to come to you in power. There's going to be gifts of the Spirit unlocked. There's going to be healing unlocked. You're going to have a word in your heart. He's going to reward you openly with a manifestation of Himself. God has already moved on the cross, but when you come to God in prayer and fasting, you access what He paid for you to have on the cross. And many of us, we recognize, man, Jesus has done a lot on the cross. He's paid for my salvation, my healing, my deliverance, but many of us, we still walk in bondage and sickness spiritually mentally, emotionally, and even physically. So, there's two extremes to fasting, self-deprivation or self-indulgence. Some people who like to look at it from a self-deprivation, they think, man, if, it's, if it feels good at all, it must not be God. Amen. And that's not true. God likes us to enjoy things. You know that in the Christian life, there's got to be a delicate balance between fasting and feasting. Because we ought to be a people that know how to celebrate and when to celebrate. That's why when you go to a wedding, you don't fast. You celebrate, Right? But there's a time for fasting and consecration. See, because just the same as you can go into self-deprivation and think everything, you don't want to feel any kind of good, you can go into self-indulgence and think whatever feels good is what I need to do. And that's really where we err as a church in our generation. We err on the side not of self-deprivation, we err on the side of self-indulgence. I'm going to do what feels good, and if you ask me to do anything that don't feel good, forget you. I'm going to do what I'm going to do in my secret place, and I'm going to do what feels good in the secret place. But let me give you a few things on why we fast. Number one is to not be driven by our appetites. See, when you fast, you're basically declaring, God, I no longer want to be driven by my appetites. I no longer want to be driven by my flesh. I want to be driven by the Spirit of God. And what you're going to experience, the thing about eating is it's our most basic desire. Eating, drinking, sex, these are some of your most basic desires. And so when those things come in and you say, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to deny that which I consume every day regularly and I depend on to live. And you push it aside, your flesh, your body starts to cry out. But see, when you say no to your body and you say, listen, body, I know you're hungry. I know you want this. But what I want more than you being full is I want God in my spirit. And you say no and you push back that which the body craves in order to say, I want God, and you receive God, you strengthen the spirit, you deny the flesh, and you're not driven by your appetites. Number two is to line our hearts with God's will. And here's the thing, a lot of times we think fasting is, we'll twist God's arm, you know. I remember a young girl one time uh, talking about prayer and fast. She's like, I'm going to enter into a season of prayer and fasting. I said, oh yeah, what are you going to do it for? She said, well, there's this boy, and I've been trying to get him to like me, and I can't get him to like me. If I pray and fast, maybe he'll date me. Maybe we'll even get married. I'm like, no, no, I don't think that's what fasting's about. I don't know that you can twist God's arm. I don't know that you can twist God's arm to manipulate people. But what I do know is that prayer and fasting will align your heart with God's will and what God wants to do. And can I tell you this? God wants to do far more in His power than you want to do or have seen up to this point. Number three, it's to express our individual and corporate repentance. Throughout Scripture, when they would fast, they did it in order to say, God, we have sinned against you. We are broken, and we need to come to you and turn to you. And so corporately they would come, or even individually they would come, and they would fast and mourn over their sin and in an effort to come to a place of repentance. And at the end of repentance is the place where God meets you with His power. Okay? And that's why number four, we fast in expectation that God will move in power among us. It is undeniable the link between prayer and fasting and seeking God in Scripture and the unleashing of His Spirit and power. 
When people pray and fast, angels show up, y'all. When people pray and fast, God's Spirit is poured out. When people pray and fast, people are healed and delivered and set free. When people choose to pray and fast, God's promises are unleashed in their lives. It's undeniable in Scripture and you cannot mess it up. And so when you fast and why you do fast is because you have an expectation that God is going to move in power among you. So what does fasting look like? I'm going to look at three different types of things that we could fast. Number one is food. And I want to say this, humans throughout history have had a very complicated relationship with food and eating. You know that the first sin that entered into the world, even though there's a lot of symbolism going on in the book of Genesis, do you remember what it was? It was when Adam and Eve, they took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they ate. And when they ate, they lost dominion. Over the earth, they lost dominion over themselves. And Satan inherited that dominion and began to honestly, in a big sense, take control and became the God of this world, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. But see, what I want to say to you is that as Christians who have the Spirit of God, when we choose to fast, we are gaining our dominion back. We're saying no to that which has enslaved us and we're saying yes to the God who empowers us with authority that He gave humanity when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And He says, I want to restore to you that which Jesus Christ has regained that Adam lost. But the same way that Adam ate, you're going to regain it by not eating and turning to me and seeking my face. So when we come into this, here's here's what Richard Foster also says. He says, in our generation we live with this constant message, this propaganda that convinces us that if we don't have three large meals a day and snacks in between, we're on the verge of starvation. Anybody amen that this morning? I like what Smith Wigglesworth said. I say it quite a bit. He said, but how can we expect to live a victorious life in Christ when we feed ourselves three hot meals a day physically and one cold snack a week spiritually? Amen. So it's really a reversal. You're choosing to say, I'm not going to feed my body for a time in order to focus on feeding my spirit for for a time because I want to be strengthened in spirit and guided by the spirit rather than the flesh and my body. Now, we have had a complicated relationship to food and eating in history. If you look throughout history, in the medieval period, if you were thin, you were considered very spiritual because they tied it into fasting. It's like, oh, well, that guy, he's so skinny, he must be spiritual. And then the Renaissance period came around later. And if you were thin, they said, well, that man's poor. He can't afford food. And it changed. And then it it was better. You look better. And it was more attractive to be a little bit thick. Amen, somebody. Amen, right? And then in the 19th and 21st century now, we've moved back. And it's very interesting because we live in a constant dichotomy of there's advertisements for food on every corner that we turn. You need to eat this. You need to get that. You need to have a cupboard full of these snacks. And you need some Little Debbie's right now bad. But at the same time, you also need all those things and you need to be thin because thin is beautiful. Man, it's a recipe for disaster. Do you not see that? That the access to food, the advertisements of food that we have are constant, but yet they tell you to eat all this stuff and be thin at the same time. It's almost an impossibility. Amen. Anybody pull it off, let me know. We'll, We'll sell some books. But see, fasting, biblical fasting rejects all of these categories and says, no, that's not the reason any of us are fasting. That's got nothing to do with what we're talking here about food. It's not got anything to do with my relationship with food. Fasting is not about food. It's about me denying something so that I can put my focus and dependence upon God. So when I'm fasting, my whole goal is to not think about food that much. It's to think about God. It's to put it away. 
This is why I'm not a huge fan of the Daniel fast, which is eating vegetables and stuff like that for 21 days, even though you can do that. But what happens a lot of times when people do that is they think more about what they're eating than they do about God. Fasting should be a time that you come and you deny something so that you can put as much focus as you possibly can into prayer and into God. But see, when you fast, you're going to face all kinds of resistance. I can tell you this. Many days, many days, I'll, I'll just go and I'll get busy doing stuff and I won't even eat, you know, till, till the evening time. But if I say in my heart, God, I'm going to fast today. At 9 a.m., I'm starved to death. Somebody amen me on that. I mean, I've already, like, sometimes when I go on an extended fast, I'm to tell you, I start writing down restaurants in a notebook that I want to eat at when I come off the thing. And then I watch a steak video of somebody cooking a steak and just sit there and look at it. I'm like, this is sinful, God. Uh, forgive me. Have mercy. I just, I, it's hard, and you will face resistance. When Jesus went on a 40-day fast, who did he meet out in the wilderness? Satan. And you know what his first temptation was? I know you're hungry, big dog. You got power, you can turn them stones into bread. And Jesus responded with the word of God. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And for a time, you've got to make a spiritual decision to say, I will not live by food alone, but I'm going to live on the word of God. I'm going to become a spiritual person. I'm going to become a person that is, that is connected with the spirit of God. And see, when you come into this place, you need to also take note of your legalism because if you're like me, I remember one day not too long ago, I was on a fast and I hadn't eaten all day. I'd been praying a little bit. I went and picked Naomi up, brought her home. She needed like an afternoon snack and I gave her some blueberries and when I poured them out, I just, not thinking, I ate like three blueberries. Then I realized, oh, I'm fat. I said, oh, I'm such a horrible Christian. I failed to fast, God. I know you'll punish me. I was waiting for a lightning bolt to smite me and kill me. Because I failed the fast. But you know what that is? It's legalism. Because it's not about whether or not you do it right or whether or not you fail. It's about the position of your heart. I have failed more fast than I have made it through. You know what I'm talking about. I failed. I went out and set out on more fast and failed them than I've got through some. But I've gotten through some. And I'm going to tell you something. In each of them, what I have found is not about how well I do. It's about my dependence upon God. It's about seeking God and recognizing my weakness and recognizing that I can't and recognizing that I need God. It reveals what we determine our well-being to be based upon. See, when you fast, we determine our well-being to be based upon so much, a nice dinner that night, to be able to sit back in our recliners, to be able to watch a TV show, to be able to have some chocolate if you're me. And when you don't have those things, it actually reveals them in your life to be an idol. Like for me, it's an idol. Like I don't feel good if I don't have those things. And so it reveals that about us. It reveals just how dependent we are on caffeine and sugar, right? And it reveals what we think we must have. Our phone, our TV, a good meal, caffeine, sugar, just feel a sense of well-being. And so here's the thing. In a society that says you should do whatever you want, Fasting says, I have limits. I want God above all else. And so you set those limits. Now, here's how it can look for you if you're going from food. Now, let me just start out easy for you. <clears throat> so if you've never really gotten involved in fasting before, and this is something that you're just sort of moving into, you could start with one meal this week. Like this Wednesday, you could start with one meal just that evening and come to the prayer meeting and pray and just not eat and go to bed on an empty stomach just that, just that night. You could... <clears throat> choose to go an entire day and say you know what Lord one day I'm going to get up and drink a little water 
And I'm going to drink water throughout the day. And during those times when I would be cooking or eating, I'm going to choose to pray instead and read the scripture and spend some time alone with you in that. And you might even, if you want to push it a little bit further, you might take the money that you would use to eat for that day and take it and, and, and spend it on somebody that actually really needs a meal. Amen. Thank you. Praise God. So here's the second one. It's technology. And some of you actually may find this more difficult than food because some of you probably don't even know where the off button is on your phone. Would you agree with that? Like, it's like, how many of you ever even turned that thing off? I mean, like, no, I ain't never turned mine off. I don't know what that's like. Um, but here's the thing. We are so addicted now to our phones, to social media, to our devices that honestly our souls are longing for a break. And we don't even recognize it. And there's a guy named Neil Postman, he said this. He said, technology has a way of moving from being a tool to becoming an intruder. It intrudes on our dinner conversations, the way we're present to one another, and it intrudes on our basic sense of self because all we care about is whether or not I'm going to get some likes and some affirmation for the day on my Facebook posts. And he says it's intruding on your life and you're not even recognizing it. So what might fasting from technology look like? Get this. Turn off your phone for one hour a day. Turn it off and during that hour, spend it praying to God. Spend it in Scripture. Maybe you decide to start putting your phone to bed before you go to bed. Maybe you say, you know what, me and my kids, we're going to turn off devices. No iPads, no phones after 6 p.m. for a few days. And we're going to try that out so that we can spend time together. We're not sitting there scrolling and looking at it all the time. And we're detoxing our soul. Maybe you say, I'm going to go for a prayer walk and I'm not taking my phone with me. And you're like, well, how am I going to count my steps? Amen. You'll be all right. You can count your own steps. One, two. It'll help break you from what's going on. So you got to fast. think about fasting technology for a season. Thirdly is other compulsions. And many of these are strong addictions. Many people have strong addictions in their life. People come in here with addictions to pornography. They come in here with addictions to alcohol and drugs. And it could, could be many other things that are going on in your life. And I'm going to tell you, the thing that will deal a death blow to addictions in your life and rewire your brain and the way that you think about things, I'm telling you, it's prayer and fasting. It's one of the ways that God came in and invaded my life and used it to set me free. It rewired my brain. And when you can say no to food and yes to God, you can say no to a lot of other things and yes to God. And I need you to understand that. And that's why God has given this, us this gift of prayer and fasting. But I thought about other compulsions because you know what the Lord told me the other day? He said, Clay, I want you to fast from complaining. <laughs> that's just what he told me. He said, Clay, you ever realize how much of a complainer you are? Like just in, and, and, and as soon as he told me that, I woke up the next morning and something, something broke that did not need to be breaking. And I instantly, I felt that complaint just come up from the deep parts of my soul. It made it right up here to about my throat and it's about to come out my mouth. And the Lord said, ah, ah, ah. I said, all right, Lord, praise God. But see, maybe, maybe you want to fast from complaining and instead you want to practice silence instead. Maybe you love giving everybody your opinion, you love to gossip, you love to get in on that. Maybe practice silence for the next three weeks. When everybody else is talking and gossiping, you say, no, I'm, I'm going to step out of this. Well, maybe, maybe it's not gossiping, but it feels like it's on the edge. No, I think I'm going to practice silence from this 
compulsion to complain and gossip. Other people have compulsions to overwork. They have compulsions to get things perfect. And I'm going to say that during this time, would it be okay to fast and take one day a week to actually take a Sabbath rest and say, Lord, I'm going to put my life in your hands. If you can't get it done, ain't no way I'm going to be able to get it done. And so I'm going to give you this day and I'm going to enjoy it with you, with my family. And, you know, some people have a compulsion to maybe hoard things. Maybe it's time for you to fast that and give some stuff away. Amen. You can think about a million different things, but there's a time to let go of some things. Now, I'm going to finish here with this last scripture. Because when we're praying, when we're seeking the Lord... Oftentimes we wonder, man, I pray, but it just don't seem to work. I, I seek God, but I don't feel like my prayers are being answered. And in Matthew 17, Jesus gives us like a little instance that he has with his disciples and with a, a demonized boy. And here's what it says in Matthew 17, verse 14. It says, when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. So you got this demonized boy, and they bring him to the disciples. And what's interesting is Jesus has given all authority and power to his disciples. They've been going around healing the sick, casting out devils, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, doing all this stuff. So when the man brings them to the disciples, the expectation is, is that they should be able to bring deliverance to this boy, but they could not heal him. Now the first thing that we've got to establish is that we actually still believe that God does miracles, okay? Like, I still believe that God heals. I still believe that there are people that, have de that are demonized, that needs deliverance in our world. I've seen it too many times. There's people in here that need deliverance from many things. And God wants to set you free. So we've got to believe that God still moves. He still operates. He still works in these ways. But in verse 17, Jesus responds and He says, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. So Jesus diagnoses the issue with why the disciples could not cast them out. And here's the thing. Jesus says, you boys, y'all are faithless and you're perverse. And I'm thinking, Jesus, that's rude. Are you even considerate about my feelings? Anybody this, this morning? Sometimes Jesus isn't that considerate about your feelings. He's more considerate about His will being done in your life. And so He gives a diagnosis and He says they're faithless, which means that literally they are unplugged from God. They're faithless because they're disconnected from God. And I want to say this, that in our generation, we have churches that are honestly filled this morning, but what we have in many of our churches are unbelieving believers. We have people who say they believe in God on paper, but in practice it's a whole different story. On paper, yeah, I believe in God, but in practice they don't believe Him to break in and do anything in their midst. They don't believe Him to use Him. They don't believe, on, they don't believe in God to heal. They don't believe in God to deliver. They don't believe in God to save. They don't pray the first prayer believing God will break through and answer it. We have a lot of unbelieving believers. But he says, not only are you faithless, but you're also perverse. You're unplugged from God, but you're perverse because you're too plugged into the world. You have entanglements in your life that are diluting your walk with God. It could be coming through the music you listen to, the TV that you watch. 
It could be coming through all sorts of different things, but at the end of the day, you're disconnected from God and you're too plugged into the world. And spiritually, you're at this point of lukewarmness and God is saying the reason you're not seeing the power of God working in your life and the reason this boy came and the demon was casting him into the fire and in the water and I gave you power and authority, but you could not heal him is because you are faithless and you're perverse. You're too connected to the world and you're not seeking me. You're not believing me. You don't have any faith. And Jesus rebuked the demon in verse 18 and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. He says because of your unbelief, faith is so important to God. It says without faith it is impossible to believe God. It's impossible to please God. And what I want to say is, is there anything in your life right now that you're believing God for? Sometimes we have difficulties in our life and I think sometimes it's just God giving us something going on so that we can turn to Him and actually believe in Him for something. To say, God, we need you once again. When God, when Jesus would heal so many people and they'd reach out and just touch the hem of His garment, He wouldn't turn to them and say, hey, I healed you. He would turn to them and say, your faith has healed you because you chose to believe in me. That's what accessed the power that was available. I wasn't the one that healed you. It was your faith in me that brought about the healing and the deliverance. That's what Jesus himself would say, and he said it's because of your unbelief that you couldn't do it. And here lastly, verse 21, he gives them the remedy. He says, however, you need to understand this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So the diagnosis is that we're faithless because we're disconnected from God and we're perverse because we're too connected to the world. And he says, you want a remedy to it? He says, you need prayer for your faithlessness. You need to plug back into God in prayer. And what you're going to find in that secret place when you're praying and seeking God and denying yourself of some things is faith is going to arise in your heart. You're going to get a word in your heart. You're going to start believing God for things that you've never believed for in your life. And there's going to be a sense of faith in the atmosphere of your life and your heart. But he says, don't just pray. But he says, this kind comes out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And see, when we fast, what we choose to do is we choose to unplug from the world. We connect to God through prayer. We unplug from the world through fasting. And we say, God, for a season here, I want to reset myself. There's some things that I've become addicted to. There's some things that have defiled my life. I realize that I'm in a faithless position. As a matter of fact, I've even allowed some sins into my life that don't need to be there. But for this season, I'm going to make a choice to consecrate these things to you for this time. And I'm going to seek your face because I believe you're going to move in our midst. And so as you're thinking about this this morning, what I would urge you to do is... Pray and consider this. Because this is where the rubber meets the road. There's something about coming to church, and I'm so thankful when people come to church, and probably many visitors here this morning, maybe even some of you aren't even Christians, maybe not followers of Jesus, and I just say, Jesus loves you. You don't have to fast to be saved. You don't. It's a free gift of salvation. You can turn from your sin and repent and turn to Jesus and put faith in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved if you call upon the name of the Lord. That's what Scripture says. But see, Jesus doesn't just want us to go to heaven when we die. He wants us to be world changers in the here and now. 
He wants us to walk in His power, walk in His anointing, walk in sanctification and be set free from sin. And He says, if you want that, then you need to draw a little bit closer to me. You need to consecrate yourself for a season. Maybe God asked you to set aside some phone time. Maybe He asked you to set aside some TV time. Maybe He asked you to fast some food for a season. Maybe some of y'all He's asking you to push in deeper than you ever have before. And all I'm asking you is to hear that voice and respond because I believe that if you will consecrate yourself, God will do wonders in our midst. He'll do miracles in our midst. I want you to bow your head with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for what you are doing in every life that is here. And Lord, it's always difficult to hear. It's, it's difficult for me to hear about disciplines that we know are going to make us very uncomfortable and disciplines that we know are going to challenge us. But Holy Spirit, I'm just praying for you to put faith in all of our hearts right now in the here and now and put something on our hearts. God, what is it that you're asking us to consecrate to you? What are you asking us, God, to set aside during this season? Whether it be food or technology or other compulsions, what are you asking us to say, God, for at least three weeks I'm giving this to you? For at least this, this, th these days ahead, I'm at least going to fast these days during this time and I'm going to seek your face in prayer. And I'm going to offer, offer my prayer up to you. God, what are you calling us to set aside? And Lord Jesus, would you put faith in our heart to, to not just respond to that call, but to set an objective and expect that God, when we seek your face, you're going to respond in power. Lord God, you're going to bring healing into some situations. You're going to bring freedom and deliverance into some situations. God, you're going to bring salvation into families. And as we seek your face, we believe that you're going to pour out your spirit among us and we're going to have a greater revelation of who you are, Jesus, than we ever have before. So we consecrate ourselves to you now, God. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to lead us. Take us into that secret place as individuals, God, and let us seek you like never before and find you when we do so. God, we give you the glory. We give you the honor for it. We just ask that you bless this time as we move into it in Jesus' mighty name. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. I believe in prayer. If you need prayer for anything, you know, just this week, I just, I like to believe God for stuff. I like to see what God will move in. Brian and Emily were having their baby this week and there was a, there was a spot on the baby that they were worried about and, uh, and they thought they would have to address that whenever they gave birth to the child. And we prayed, a lot of people were praying about it, but we pray we believe God. They had the baby, guess what? No spot, praise God. Amen. But the key in all of this, in prayer and fasting, is not about eating. It's not about what you don't eat. Even though that's an aspect of it, it's about seeking the face of God and making sure that if you are not eating, that you're seeking the Lord in prayer. But right now, I want you to respond to God, whether it's at your seat or just in singing this song in worship. If you need prayer for something, you need healing in your body. You need God to respond to something that you're dealing with. You need a miracle. I'd ask you to come forward, maybe gather around this altar. If you'd like for us to pray with you, we would love to pray with you, but take a moment just to respond to the Lord. Let's worship God together.